couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, those of you who are members here at College View received a letter expressing some concerns about things that we have taught, things that we believe and practice at College View. It's been suggested and requested of me that I might deal with three topics that were mentioned in the letter just by way of clarification, make sure it's understood what has been taught from this pulpit and what we put into practice as we join together collectively as the body of Christ here at College View. And so uh, I'd like to spend some time tonight and in two other Sunday nights dealing with the three subject matters that came up uh, just so that we can, again, review what has been taught, make sure that we understand what has been taught and why. So that will be our purpose. That's, that's going to be our approach. Thank you for being here tonight. We appreciate very much your, your interest in studying God's Word and worshiping God that brings you out on Sunday night. Glad that you could be here. We have visitors. We're grateful for your presence. In the letter that you received, there was this statement of concern about us esteeming Jesus as the Lord of the church. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that that's an unfortunate misstatement of reality. I don't know anybody at College View that does not esteem Jesus as the head of the church. We clearly do. It's obvious that we do. Uh, we even have a memory verse. That, uh, a set of memory verses, actually, uh, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 4, and then Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, as we've worked on memory verses, we've worked on memory verses that describe Jesus as the head of his body, the church. We believe that. We very much adamantly are committed to that. And so I think that's an unfortunate misstatement there. But the letter went on to explain some concerns about not esteeming Jesus because we fail to or neglect to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord, and we fail to call on the name of the Lord or invoke our Lord Jesus in prayer. Now, I want to deal with that specifically. Uh, I want to deal with this part first and then comment on the last part. This is really the question about praying to Jesus, and we've talked about that in the past. And I want to review that with you. In fact, you've seen these charts before because I want to go back through the same charts that I used when we discussed this a good long while ago. We talked about praying to Jesus. Can we, should we as Christians, be addressing our prayers to Jesus? I think it's actually a pretty simple question to answer. And I would approach the answer by just considering what Jesus himself told us to do. Let's just look at those verses very simply. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray to the Father. In the passage that Josh read for us earlier, Luke chapter 1, or excuse me, Luke chapter 11, beginning verse 1, it says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. So notice, this was specific instruction on prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us, basically, teach us how to pray. John taught his disciples how to pray. You teach us how to pray. And so he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So get this now. They said, Jesus, tell us how we should pray. Teach us to pray. And he says, Okay. When you pray, say this, Our Father which art in heaven. Clearly, Jesus taught his disciples to address their prayers to the Father. I don't know how you could make that statement any plainer. Jesus, how should I pray? Jesus says, when you pray, say, 
our Father which art in heaven. Very clear, it seems to me. Matthew has a similar statement. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's account, chapter 6. Jesus said, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice, pray to your Father, and say this, After this manner, pray ye, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Again, I would have to say that seems so very, very clear to me. If Jesus, if you were to ask Jesus personally, Jesus, how should I address my prayers? We have the answer to the question. We don't even have to have an opportunity to have an audience or a question and answer session with Jesus. He answered the question. Jesus, when I pray, who should I address my prayers to? Jesus said, address your prayers to the Father. In John chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus said, in that day ye shall... Now remember, this is in the context he's having really final instructions to his apostles before he is arrested and crucified. So this is right at the end of his life and sort of the final instructional meeting that he has with his apostles. And he tells them things that are about to happen. And he says, In that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say to you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Notice, you will ask the Father. You'll do it in his name, through him, by his authority, but notice especially the first expression in that statement. In that day ye shall ask me nothing. Jesus said, you won't be asking me. He's talking about after he's crucified, after he's ascended, when the kingdom comes. What does he say? In that day you will ask me nothing. Again, uh, i got to believe that that's a very straightforward and plain statement to understand. All right, now just let me summarize what we've just looked at here. Luke 11, verse 2, Jesus says, when you pray, say. Our Father, which art in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Pray to the Father. And after this manner, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven. And then in John 16, where we just read, In that day ye shall ask me nothing, ye shall ask the Father in my name. Now, we're going to go on and look at some other verses, some other passages. But this has got to be our anchor point right here. This is what we've got to... Any other thing we come to has to harmonize with these plain statements from Jesus. Now, I, I understand and have dealt with in the past. I know I want to look at some here. There are some more obscure statements in the Scripture. And some have taken those more obscure statements in the Scripture and tried to use them to justify praying to Jesus himself. I want to tell you, those more obscure statements in Scripture have got to harmonize with this. Whatever, whatever, whatever conclusion we come to on these other passages that we'll look at in a minute, it's got to harmonize with, Jesus, with this. Jesus said, you address your prayers to the Father. When you pray, say this, our Father which art in heaven. In that day you'll ask me nothing. You will ask the Father in my name. I honestly, as I've thought about this, I don't know how Jesus could have stated that any more plainly if he wanted to. Can you imagine what words he would have used? If he wanted to say, don't pray to me, pray to the Father. Can you imagine any words he could have used to make that point more emphatically? I mean, it is very clear here in these ultimately simple statements from our Master. So, whatever else we conclude from whatever other Bible text we look at, it's got to fit here. It's got to fit with what Jesus said. All right. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray to the Father. We also know that we were instructed by the inspired apostles to pray to the Father through Jesus. And that really makes sense. I mean, 
they're repeating what they had learned from the Lord. Uh, they're giving instruction by divine inspiration. They're not going to contradict what Jesus said. They're actually going to confirm or, or verify or amplify what Jesus said. And the apostles, the inspired apostles, instructed that we should pray to the Father through Jesus. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul said, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Who do we pray to, Paul? Well, make your request known unto God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, we pray unto God, and it is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do that, you know. Uh, in fact, you, you rarely hear a prayer uh, that's given in our public assembly, but what it's not concluded by saying, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so we do this very thing. We pray unto God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A, ve- a very familiar verse to us is Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Notice, We give thanks to God, we do it by or through in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, not only did Jesus teach that we should address our prayers to the Father, his inspired apostles confirmed that and and continued to instruct along that same line. And even more than that, we see that the apostles' own example, not only did they teach people to do that, but we have their example at hand where they prayed to the Father. Colossians 2.14, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Colossians 8, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians, what did I say earlier? That that first one was 2 Corinthians 2.14, 2 Corinthians 8.16, thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Again, notice, thanks be to God. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 7, now I pray to God that you do no evil, and we could multiply the examples of that nature. Jesus taught, I mean, excuse, Jesus taught, pray to the Father. The apostles taught, pray to the Father. And in their own personal prayers, they emphasized that they were praying to the Father. Now, having said that, I would go further to argue that the proof texts that are sometimes used to teach that we can and should pray to Jesus I really don't think sustain that practice. I don't think they prove uh, that that is what we ought to be doing. I want to look at a few of those. One of the very most common passages that's used as justification for praying to Jesus is in Acts chapter 7. You know the end of Acts chapter 7. Stephen, we often refer to him as the first Christian martyr, uh, he was being stoned. Uh, the, The Jewish mob took him. They were stoning him because he was preaching about Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. And there as he's dying, being stoned to death, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. This begins verse 55 of Acts 7. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not to this this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Right here, we have uh, a, a very unique circumstance, and uh, not to be trite or to oversimplify this, this is a situation that we're not in, right? This is a miraculous situation taking place, 
And we have Stephen physically, visibly seeing Jesus. And so, again, not to be trite or, or uh, you know, to be snarky or to try to make light of this, but my simple response to this is, if you see Jesus, by all means, speak to him. But this is not a normal, this is not a normal prayer situation. This is not a situation that we are in. And so this, this would not pertain to our circumstance. This is a miraculous situation. Jesus is revealing himself directly to Stephen. You know, Jesus directly revealed himself to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, too. And Paul spoke to, uh, uh, to Jesus when he saw him on the road to Damascus. This is not the only episode where someone saw Jesus and spoke to Jesus. And so my conclusion is, if you see Jesus, then by all means, speak to him. But short of that, short of that miraculous circumstance happening, this is not a normal prayer situation, and this is not a situation that pertains to our practice of prayer whatsoever. I wouldn't think that this passage is, is justification. It certainly wouldn't violate the instruction of Jesus himself. You will ask me nothing. You will ask the Father in my name. First John chapter 5 is another passage that is used. First uh, John chapter 5, beginning verse 11. This is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know, what we, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. The expressions that are sometimes emphasized here is he heareth us. We have the petitions that we desired of him. But notice, this is talking about what God has done. God hath given to us eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life. But it's God who has done that. And so when we pray, God hears our prayers. We have the petitions that, that we ask of him. I don't think this passage goes anywhere near uh, the conclusion that we should be authorized to pray to Jesus. In the letter that you received, there were a few other passages mentioned. And I just want to briefly look at those to be sure that we're being fair and dealing with all possible objection to this position. We already talked about Acts 7. That was the Stephen episode. We just, we just described 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. Let's look at these others. And I don't have them on the screen. Just take your Bibles and turn with me. For instance, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, these are other uh, verses of Scripture that were mentioned in the letter you received. And the question was, are we failing to esteem Jesus because we don't pray to him? These verses suggested that we should be praying to him. I think not. 1 John chapter 1, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2, Under the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, I'm certain that the, the part of that verse that is being suggested as telling us to pray to Jesus is where it talks about in every place those who call upon the name of, the Lord, of Jesus Christ our Lord. But you know, to call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord is not necessarily prayer whatsoever. Uh, you remember the very famous statement that was made to Paul when he uh, had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. He went into Damascus. Ananias came to him 
Remember the famous words, Acts 22.16, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord there is not prayer, right? Calling on the name of the Lord is there submission to His will, doing things by His authority. But calling on the name of the Lord is not necessarily, or in fact, I'm not sure I can find a place where calling on the name of the Lord, that where that expression is used to denote an act of prayer. It's an act of obedience, surrender, submission, but not a statement about prayer. I think we can take 1 Corinthians 1, 2 off the board. Acts chapter 8, oh, go, wait a minute, I'm going too fast here. Acts chapter 8, verse 24, look at that one. This is another verse that was suggested. Maybe this tells us we can pray to Jesus. Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer, right? You remember this situation. Simon the sorcerer had become a Christian in Samaria. But when the apostles came down and began to lay hands on people and impart miraculous spiritual gifts, Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy that power. You remember this story. Well, Peter rebukes him strongly and Simon the sorcerer says in Acts 8, verse 24, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Who is the Lord there? Is this? A th- By the way, this is not even an inspired man who made the statement, right? This is Simon the sorcerer. He wasn't inspired. But who is the Lord? That he says, Pray to the Lord for me. Uh, back up to verse 22. Peter said, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And then answered Simon, saying, Pray ye to the Lord for me. Who's he talking about? Well, first of all, he's not even an inspired man. But the Lord he's talking about is God the Father, right? Because that's just what Peter said. Peter had just told him, Repent and pray to God that this might be forgiven you. That, that passage doesn't come anywhere. I mean, that doesn't even, that doesn't even begin to authorize prayer to Jesus. What about, I keep going too fast here, what about 1 Timothy 1, verse 12? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he accounted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He's thankful to the Lord. Does that say he prays to the Lord? No. Are you thankful to the Lord? Aren't we all thankful to the Lord? Aren't we thankful for the spiritual blessings that are available to us by and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful? Of course, we're all thankful to the Lord. But I might be thankful to you. If you do some nice favor for me, I might be thankful to you. You know, uh, I, I'm thankful to Monty because uh, he helped me out with something recently. Does that mean I'm praying to Monty? No. Obviously not, right? And so just for Paul to say that he was thankful... I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord. Just the fact that he was thankful to Christ Jesus because he had been given him the privilege of serving in this special capacity, that in no way describes a prayer. We can take that one off the list. What about Acts chapter 1, verse 24? Acts chapter, again, I'm not picking these verses out at random. These are verses that were suggested in the letter you received. Do these verses Justify praying to Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 24, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. You remember what's going on there? They're, they're trying to determine a replacement for Judas Iscariot among the apostles. 
um, Matthias and Barsabas had been suggested and they needed to choose between the two. And, and they said, uh, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. Who's the Lord there? Well, it'd be, uh, it'd be absolute assumption to say it's the Lord Jesus. God the Father is called Lord too, all throughout the Scripture. This doesn't prove a prayer to Jesus at all. Uh, you'd have to read something into the text that's not there to conclude that this is a statement about praying to Jesus. Let's take that one off the board. And finally, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I'm just going through these in the order that you saw them appear in the letter that you received. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. We come to God by him. He makes intercession for us. I'm going to tell you, I think that verse is, is more in the line of praying to God, not praying to Jesus. We go to God through him, and he makes intercession for us. That's what we believe. That's what we do. But that's not a verse that tells us we ought to be addressing our prayers to Jesus. I, don't, I think that verse fails as well. I know that there are probably other verses that someone might think about. I just wanted to cover the ones that were in that letter. I think none of those verses that were in that letter prove that we should be praying to Jesus. Now, whatever those verses teach has to harm. I want to emphasize this again. Whatever those verses teach, whatever they teach, has to harmonize with what Jesus himself said. Jesus said, when you pray, say this, our Father which art in heaven. How could that be plainer? How could that be clearer? Jesus said, in that day you will ask me nothing. You will ask the Father in my name. How could that statement be any plainer? I'm at a loss to imagine how that could be any plainer. That's very plain. And that's why then we don't pray to Jesus. Because we don't believe there is authority. Now, one other thing that was brought up was the idea of singing to Jesus. Ephesians 5.19 was mentioned in the letter. You know that verse. That's one of our memory verses. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know that verse. I believe we do that. I believe we do that. Now, here's the key. We all agree and believe that we should sing songs of praise to Jesus. And we do that. We do that. We did that tonight, in fact. Uh, did you, let me remind you of the songs that Johnny led us in just a few minutes ago. Revive us again, number 37. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and cleansed every stain. Did you sing that? I sang it. I sang it wholeheartedly. I have absolutely no objection of singing songs of praise to Jesus. I don't know anybody here who does. Uh, the, the next song that Johnny led us in was... Um, 229, no, not one. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. Did you sing that? I did. I believe that. And I'm glad to praise Jesus with such songs as that. I believe that's absolutely appropriate. One I thought of that we often sing is number 34, a, a, a famous old standard, Worthy art thou, 
Worthy of praise is Christ our Redeemer. Worthy of glory, honor, and power. Worthy of all our soul's adoration. Worthy art thou, worthy art thou. And you know how that song goes on. You know where that comes from? That comes from chapter 5, the book of Revelation. You remember the scene around the throne of God and a book, they brought out a book and no one could open the book. But then the Lamb came forward and He was worthy to open the book and reveal the truths that God wanted to be known. And the, and around God's throne, the praises were, were issued forth. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy art thou. That's where that song comes from. We sing that song and rejoice in the truth that's contained in that song. A song of praise to Jesus. But praise and prayer are two separate things. We do make melody in our hearts unto the Lord. We sing songs of praise to the Lord. It's appropriate. It's, it's very right for us to do that. And we do. So we do make melody in our hearts to the Lord. The, the objection that has been raised... And the reason why there are just a few songs out of the 700 or so songs that are in the songbook, there are a few songs that we've been asked not to sing because some of us here, I include myself in that, some of us here, for the very reasons that I've tried to explain in the sermon tonight, some of us here have a conscience against praying to Jesus. Some of the songs are written as a prayerful request to Jesus. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, song number 142, More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. That's a prayer to Jesus, right? So, if our conclusion is right that we're not to be praying to Jesus, then we shouldn't be singing a song that constitutes basically a prayerful request to Jesus. Remember, all these these songs are not inspired songs. I, I, I think we need to be reminded of that once more. These songs are not inspired. These were uninspired men who wrote these songs. Actually, most of the songs in our songbook were written by denominational people, not even members of the Lord's church. But as long as their content is scriptural, as long as we can, can in our mind, harmonize the statements of these songs with what we know the scriptures teach, them, we sing those songs, we sing them gladly. But some songs, there are just a few, there's not a lot, but there are some songs that are stated as a prayerful request to Jesus. We don't believe we can pray to Jesus for the reasons we described in our lesson tonight. And so when we come to a song like that where it's asked Jesus to hear our prayer, we say, well, wait a minute, I can't sing that song. Or one like this, Psalm 144, My faith looks up to thee. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray, take all my sins away. Oh, let me from this day be wholly thine. That's a prayer to Jesus, right? You're, hear me while I pray, take my sins away. That's a prayerful request to Jesus. At least that's the way that some of us interpret that song and can't sing it, therefore, in good conscience. Now, I'm aware of the fact that some of you don't agree on that point. But what I would ask you to do is honor our conscience. Some of us have a conscience against that. There's 700 some odd songs in that book. We can sing lots of others. There's just a handful that we said, let's don't sing those because we conscientiously can't. And so even if you don't agree with this conclusion, I'm just humbly asking, could you not honor the conscience of the rest of us who do have a problem with that? You know, we do that about a number of things. Uh, there, there, there are some things in the congregation that some members have 
conscience issues with. And we let them honor their conscience. We don't plague them and hound them and bother them all the time. We let them follow their conscience in those private individual matters. And I'm just asking that in regards to the singing of these songs, let's just do that. Let's just honor the conscience of those. I include myself as one who has a conscience against singing these songs, not songs of praise. I think we should sing all those songs of praise. Sing them more. Sing them louder. Sing them more powerfully. But avoid the songs that are are worded as a prayer for the reasons we've said. And so, in conclusion, I would put it this way. I think we have to conclude that there's no authority for praying to Jesus. And that's really, I'm saying that in a very important way. If we're going to do it, we need clear-cut authority in the Scriptures to do it. And it's just not there. Now, you can, you can go, and we looked at a number of passages tonight, and you can look at some more. And I've got a file full of articles that have been written on this subject, and different people will go to different places in both the Old and New Testament to try and prove that we ought to pray to Jesus. By the way, anything that you would illustrate from the Old Testament wouldn't be authority for us to do it in the New Testament, right? Wouldn't that be true? But go to whatever passage you want, but whatever interpretation you place upon it has to harmonize with those first verses we looked at from Jesus himself. When you pray, Jesus said, say this, our Father which art in heaven. Jesus said, in that day you will ask me nothing. You will ask the Father in my name. Brethren, I tell you, I wish every subject was that clear cut. I wish everything was that easy to determine. Jesus told us in plain, emphatic words, how can we do otherwise? But if, if you're not convinced, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that this is the all-powerful, conclusive lesson on this subject, if you're not convinced, these points have been made before, but if you remain unconvinced, then again, I just would ask, honor the conscience of others who do have a problem with praying to Jesus. Thank you for your good attention to what we've had to say. This has not been a lesson that teaches the plan of salvation or motivates people to obey it, but we don't ever want to end without that opportunity. If you need to obey the gospel plan of salvation, or if you desire the prayers of the saints, let us know how we can help while we stand and sing this song. There's a great day coming, a great